Thank you. Would you open your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. One man tried to do it by having himself buried up to his neck and remaining there for several months. When he didn't feel he had accomplished it, he had himself dug out, then climbed on top of a pillar that was 30 feet high and lived there for many years. Another man tried a different approach. He decided not to bathe or to change his clothes until he had attained it. You say, what did these men try to do? They tried to become holy. One of the good gifts of God is sanctification. We often identify that with holiness. I wonder if there are any words or ideas that create more misunderstanding and mystery than the word sanctification. For some, the word immediately connotes altars and incense, robes and barriers. I've been in buildings of worship where the front was called an altar and there was a fence or a railing to keep out ordinary people. Only those who were sanctified, so-called, were able to go into that front area of the church near the altar. For others, sanctification connotes an unattainable piety, an illusory standard of of living that can never quite be reached. For some, sanctification has a lot to do with ice. Both are frozen. Sanctification is hard to get your hands on. What does it mean when it says in our text, as it does, that God has sanctified us? Well, one of the good gifts of God is the gift of sanctification, and it is a wonderful truth that applies to every child of God. And so this morning I want us to think about what that means. Let's first consider some basic facts about sanctification. Notice again in our text, verse 10, By this will, that is the will of God, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then again in verse 14, By one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The word sanctify is really very simple. It means to set something apart from the rest. You ladies sanctify your good dishes. You may even have a china closet in your home where you keep your sanctified dishes. You don't use those every day of the week, but only when you have special company. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the fact is you are setting those dishes aside for special use. That's the very idea of sanctification. It involves, first of all, a cleansing and a preparation, and then a preservation 
for the special purpose for which something is set apart. This word is used in the Bible in a number of different contexts. For example, and you need not turn to these verses, Genesis 2, 3 tells us that God sanctified the seventh day. He ordered seven days to this period of time that we call a week. And that final day, the seventh day, God rested and he sanctified the Sabbath. He set it apart from the others. In Exodus 31, 13, we see that God sanctified the nation of Israel. From all of the nations of the world, God set apart the Jew, the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And among them, it says in Numbers 3.13, that God sanctified the firstborn. The firstborn of man and beast, God says, set apart for me. The firstborn is mine, he says. And we also see that God ordered the construction of a tent of meeting for his people. It's usually called the tabernacle. And it is called in the Old Testament the sanctuary. The sanctuary. The place that is set apart. And clothing, vessels, and sacrifices associated with it were also set apart and thus became consecrated. Jesus said that we should prayerfully sanctify the very name of God. We are to acknowledge the set-apartness of his name. He said, when you pray, say this, Our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. Set apart in a special sense of reverence and awe. Hallowed be thy name. God is to be reverenced. And Jesus says in John 17 and verse 19, I sanctify myself. What did he mean? He said, I am setting myself apart. As he prayed that night before his crucifixion, I am setting myself apart for their sake, the sake of those who were his. And he says, Sanctify them, Father, through thy word. Thy word is truth. And so he prayed for our being set apart as well. You see, in every case where it's used, the essential meaning of this word means to set apart for a specific purpose or mission or destiny. That's why I am saying to you this morning that one of the good gifts of God, the gifts we've been studying through the summer, is the gift of sanctification. Because what that means is that God has chosen to set you as his child apart from all of the rest of the world for a special purpose and mission in the world. But God cannot set apart for his use what is unclean or sinful. And we are that by our birth. 
And so God had to do something to cleanse and prepare us. That is why it says in verse 10, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you noticed when this text was read earlier, there is the repetition of that idea. Once for all. Once for all. The very idea of a mass where Jesus Christ is said to be offered again and again and again for sins is blasphemous and contrary to the Word of God, which tells us that he was offered once for all. He never needs to be offered again after that time 2,000 years ago in Calvary. And through that sacrifice, we have been cleansed and prepared so that God can set us apart. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, He loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. God intends for the church to be both without spot and without wrinkle. When you wash your clothes, they get clean. You put them in the dryer or you hang them out in the line. And what happens when they come out of the dryer, you take them off the line, they are wrinkled still. Unless there are some of this uh, more modern fabric. And you have to uh, get an iron hot and iron out the wrinkles. I like to think of it this way, that our Lord has washed us, he has cleansed us, but now he is in the business of ironing out the wrinkles that remain. And one day when we are with him in glory, in that day we heard sung about earlier that's coming soon, we're going to be holy and without blame, without spot and without wrinkle or anything like that. God has chosen to set apart for himself and for special purpose an unworthy and sinful people who first have to be prepared and cleansed so that they then can go on to experience their special destiny. Common, ordinary people who have no understanding or fear of God and who are hostile toward him in mind and in actions are by the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed and sanctified for the Master's good use. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where we see this being said about some people who came out of a pretty rough background. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 the apostle says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, 
nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. He reminds them of where they had been. But then he says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. The means that God uses to set us apart is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God has purposely chosen the unlovely, the unholy, the sinful, the wicked for a special destiny. And in order that we might experience that destiny, He has cleansed us. He has prepared us. He has sanctified us. And the result is, going back to our text in Hebrews chapter 10, this time verse 14, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now if you notice something, if you're an astute reader, you'll notice that the first time in verse 10 it says you have been sanctified. And here it says you are being sanctified. Now which is true? The answer is they're both true. Because the Bible says that we are sanctified in three tenses. There's a past tense in which we have been sanctified. It is passive. It happens to us. And it emphasizes the completed state we have when we trust Jesus Christ. It is an abiding standing with God. It is our position in Christ. We have, by God's divine action, been set apart. And that cannot change. That's one truth of sanctification. But it's also used in a present sense. We are being sanctified. A present tense. Here he's talking about not our position in Christ, but our condition in life. For God's purposes, we have been set apart, but right now in time we are being cleansed. Or we're being ironed, might be a better way to say it. God is right now continuing to prepare us. We are a people in process. We are not a people of perfection. There is progression in the Christian life. There is growth in the Christian life. And by this we are increasingly set apart for God's special purpose. God has a work to do in us yet. There aren't any of us who are thinking rightly and certainly biblically who would say that we are beyond the point of sin. Though we have been cleansed, there is still within us a struggle with sin. And we are tempted every day 
Sometimes we are victorious and other times we succumb to it. The fact is that as we grow and mature in Christ, we experience more victories and fewer defeats. But never will we in this world, in this life, get beyond the point of temptation and sin. Have you ever had a mole in your yard? Had one in ours several years ago. Oh, it was a fun battle. This little creature would dig around in my grass, in the flower beds, and I was out after him. The only problem was we had different hours. He liked to do that in the early morning hours, and I didn't particularly care to get up at four o'clock in the morning to, to go looking for him. So I bought some peanuts that were special peanuts. And I carefully dug a hole down in his little tunnel and I dropped in his snack and I covered it over very carefully. Guess what? Didn't fool him. It wasn't his kind of peanut. He didn't like the taste of the coating, you see. And I found out something very interesting about these little creatures. You can set traps for them, and there are some elaborate ones. The way to really get rid of moles is to treat your lawn to get rid of the grub worms. Because that's why they're there. They're, he's not out to destroy my lawn as much as he does that. He is there to eat. And he likes those little grub worms. They don't look too appetizing to me. But he gets fat on them. So what do I really need to do? Forget about the mole and go after the grub worms. So often we go after the symptoms of our lives and not after the root cause. We go after the symptoms by listening to tapes to try to calm down and relax. Or we take pills to try to stop doing this or to start doing that. We need to remember that there are some root things that we should go after. God is in the business of going after the root causes in our lives. He is sanctifying us now. That's why he deals with us through the word and through our fellowship with one another, through our worship, through the Lord's Supper, through prayer. All of these are what are called means of grace by which God is working away at the root causes in our lives. But there is another aspect, and that is a future aspect. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23 it says, And may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sanctified in the sense that we have our position in Christ. It does not change. That's past. And it's abiding. We are being sanctified in the sense that right now our condition in life is being worked on by our Lord, and he is ironing away at us. And we are being sanctified, I should say we will be sanctified in the future, 
in the sense of our expectation, position, condition, expectation. And on that day when our Lord comes, we will stand before him in his presence without any sin. And we will finally come to the destiny for which God set us apart when we were saved. I like what that song says. I think I have the words right. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God, I'm not what I was. We are a people on the way. You see, the gift of sanctification is the gift of destiny. Thank God we will not share the destiny of the world. Those without Christ, a destiny of judgment and hell. But God in his grace and goodness has called us to be a part of his family. And as such, we have been given a new destiny. We have been sanctified and set apart for God's purpose. And he is in the process of making us a holy people. What kind of an application can we draw from all of this for our lives? I'd like just to turn to one verse. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Where again we see the word sanctify. This time it is not God doing the sanctifying, but you and I are commanded to do the sanctifying. He is not sanctifying us, but we are sanctifying him. You say, what in the world are you saying? Well, look at it. 1 Peter 3:15. But sanctify Christ. What does that mean? Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean to us? It means that we are to call him Lord, to set him apart from everything else in our lives and say, you alone are Lord. All of the demands, all of the desires, all of the loyalties are to be set aside And he is to be set in that special place as Lord. Sanctify Christ alone as Lord. That's what he's saying. And he tells us the result of that will be we'll always have an answer ready to give to those who ask us for a reason of the hope. He goes on to tell us another result is that we will live before God with a good conscience Sanctify Christ as Lord. How do you do that? Well, just in closing, I'd like to suggest that uh, there are three thoughts. There's a once for all, there's a day by day, and there's a moment by moment aspect to this. A once for all aspect, that's really what he says here. Sanctify in one deliberate historic act in your life. Sanctify Christ as Lord. He's talking to Christians. There are some people who say, well, you can't make Christ Lord. He is Lord. And there is truth in that, of course. But Peter says here, you set apart Christ as Lord. You make him Lord in your life. You Christians, you determine that he is going to be the sovereign. Once and for all, do that. Make that the position of your life. 
drive that stake down deep. It says, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. It is an act of the will and of the heart, setting him apart from and above everything else. But there's also a day-by-day aspect to it. If it's a once-for-all consecration, it requires a day-by-day application. So that every day as I'm in the Word of God and as I'm in prayer with Him, I renew this commitment. Jesus is Lord in my life. Dr. Andrew Bonar, great Scottish saint in the last century, wrote this in his diary. Tonight I gave myself to a time of waiting upon the Lord. I had not been much in the spirit of prayer, but now several things have become clear to me. I realize I have not communed enough with the Lord, nor come to him as often as I should. Little forethought has been given to the requests I've made. There has been much conversing and outward engagement with men, but I have not been occupied enough with God himself. I also realize that a closeness to him gives abundant strength and is like sunlight shining through the clouds on a gloomy day. See, Bonar came back to that point in life. He says, I'm with a lot of people. I converse, I engage in business, etc., etc. What I have forgotten is that every day I need to be with Christ. To sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord not only is a once-for-all consecration, it requires a daily application. There's a third aspect in closing, and that is that there's a moment-by-moment realization of this wonderful truth. A moment-by-moment realization of His purpose in my life and of His presence in my life. Someone penned the poem that is heart-searching in this way, as it speaks to this theme. Some selected verses say this, Friend, I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you. Would you be content in doing the same things you always do? Would your family conversation still keep up its usual pace? Or would you find it hard at meals to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Could you take the Savior with you everywhere you'd plan to go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you rejoice to have him stay forever, on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when at last he had gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus came in person just to spend some time with you. And he has. 
You see, the poem is not merely, I wonder what would happen if. The fact is, he has come. And he is in you every day. And that's why we, in response to the great destiny that Jesus Christ has given us to be like him and to reign with him forever, are right now, every day, to sanctify him as Lord in our hearts. And to make that not only a daily application, but a moment-by-moment realization. He's with me, and how I live must therefore be different. Let's pray. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just how would the Spirit of God lead you to respond? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Have you confessed him as Lord? If you have, is that truly the way you're living? Have you set him apart as Lord in your life? Oh, dear friend, understand the great gift God's given you, this good gift of being set apart to a wonderful purpose and destiny and respond in love and gratitude by sanctifying him now as Lord in your life. Lord Jesus, may all of us respond today with a willing surrender And in very practical, meaningful ways, prove that you are the Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.